Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Amara, and this is Black Girl Gone, a true crime podcast. On this episode of Black Girl Gone, we tell the story of Kanika Powell, a 28-year-old woman who was brutally murdered on August 28, 2008, in Prince George's County, Maryland. Six days before she was killed, two strange men posing as FBI agents came to her door and asked for her by name. Five days later, a different man knocked on her door. He, too, asked for her by name. He said he had a package for her, but he never came back with a package. The next day, Kanika went out to run some errands. And when she came back home, someone was in her hallway waiting for her. Kanika was shot multiple times. Who killed Kanika? Were the strange visitors at her door responsible for her murder? Or was someone else out to get her? This is Kanika's story. Recently, I partnered with actress Erica Alexander for the campaign hashtag FindHer. Some of you may know Erica from The Cosby Show or as Maxine Shaw, attorney at law from the hit 90s show Living Single. But earlier this year, she hosted the Audible series Finding Tamika, which was executive produced by Kevin Hart and Charlemagne the God. And I got to meet her virtually when she asked me to join her on Twitter spaces for a conversation a few months ago. She created the hashtag FindHer campaign as a way to continue the conversation around missing and murdered Black women and the lack of mainstream media coverage that their stories receive. I, for one, am so grateful for Erica because she is using her platform to highlight this issue. I've been saying for a while now that we can't rely on the mainstream media to elevate these stories. We have to do it ourselves. We have to make these stories relevant. Part of the campaign is people sharing their stories. If you go to Erica's IG or TikTok page, you will see a video that you can stitch or remix to share your story or the story of someone you know who has gone missing or been murdered and whose case needs attention. So if you would like to join us on this campaign, then you can go to either of our social media pages and stitch the video and use hashtag FindHer. Like I said, the story can be of someone that you know personally, or it can be a story that you just know needs more attention. Together, we can make the change and give these stories the attention that they deserve. On this week's episode, we tell Kanika's story and the mystery of her murder. The story is chilling and to this day remains unsolved. 14 years ago, 
someone shot Kanika to death. But the events leading up to her murder are what makes this story so disturbing. Kanika was a young, ambitious woman who served in the military before landing her dream job. Born January 31st, 1980, her mom Judy said that Kanika was a fun, feisty child growing up and that she had a ball raising her. As a teen, she attended Largo High School in Upper Marlboro, Maryland, where she graduated in 1998. A couple years later, Kanika decided that she wanted to enlist in the Army, which was a complete surprise to her family and friends. Now, it's not clear what led Kanika to want to join the Army, but according to her family, it was something she really wanted to do, and she was determined to get in. And so, in 2000, Kanika became a member of the U.S. Army. After her enlistment, she served for several years in Korea. And even though her service kept her away, Kanika remained close to her family. She also had a group of girlfriends from high school who she also stayed close with during her time away. After her four years of serving, in 2004, Kanika left the military and returned back home to Prince George's County, Maryland. Not long after moving back home, she landed a contract job at John Hopkins University Applied Physics Laboratory in Laurel, Maryland. The exact nature of the work done at these labs is not known because their researchers work on projects that deal with homeland security. But for Kanika, this was a dream job because she always wanted to work in national security. And so she was excited about this new opportunity and the next chapter of her life. After working at the lab for two years as a contractor, in 2006, she became a full-time lab employee. The work Kanika did required top-level security clearances, and so it was the kind of work that she couldn't talk much about. To this day, it's not known exactly what Kanika did for John Hopkins, but the work she did required her to travel from time to time, and she couldn't say where she was going. Her mom told the Washington Post that when she would ask her where she was going, she would say, Mom, you know I can't tell you that. Now, even though they didn't know what she did, her family and friends said that she was happy and living a quiet life in Maryland. Like her job, there isn't much information about Kanika's personal life, but she was living alone, and there's no mention of any information I found about any relationships. But the next couple of years, Kanika's life was normal. But in the summer of 2008, all of that changed. And Kanika's life became something that sounded like it came straight out of a movie script. On Saturday, August 23rd, 2008, Kanika had a strange encounter with two men that knocked on her apartment door, claiming to be from the FBI. Her mom told Crime Watch Daily that she remembered her daughter calling her that evening. She said, quote, it was a Saturday evening I'll never forget. She called and said, Ma, these two men just knocked on my door saying they were from the FBI. She said they called her by name. She said, I've already called the FBI to find out if they had sent anybody. And so she said they put a fake badge, I guess she could tell that it was fake, up to the peephole. Now, the incident had scared Kanika, and 
on Monday, the 25th, she sent an email to her family and friends recalling what happened to her. And it read in part, I just want to share with you the scariest thing that happened to me this weekend. Saturday evening, around 7 p.m., a man was knocking at my door. As you all know, I live alone. I asked who it was, and he didn't answer. So once I got close to the door and looked out of the peephole, I saw a male figure that was not familiar to me at all. I asked who he was, and all he stated was that he was from the FBI and he was looking for Kanika Powell. It freaked me out completely because this man knew my name. He held a shield up but no picture ID, and he never gave his name. He told me he was looking for me in regards to an investigation. I told him that I had no idea as to what he was talking about and that he would need to show me documentation as well as a warrant of some sort. So he left, and I looked out my bedroom window and saw him walking. I also heard a voice tell him to walk in the opposite direction. The whole situation was scary and seemed so false. So because of this incident, not only did I get no sleep for the rest of the weekend, but I'm now trying to get an alarm system installed in my apartment. I had one in my old apartment, but I just hadn't had it transferred over to my new one. She also stated in that email that she called the FBI, who told her that it was more likely than not a scam because real agents would have at least left a card. She said she also called the local police in case, quote, someone was out there trying to rape or harm single women. She ended the email by telling the receivers to forward the information to women that they knew to warn them. As she stated in that email, she had called the local police, who, according to reports, arrived at Kanika's apartment four minutes after the call. They canvassed the area, but they did not find anyone meeting the description Kanika gave them. Hoping that perhaps it was just a scammer, Kanika focused on getting that security system installed in her apartment. A coworker of hers told the Washington Post that she was at work on the 26th, and she was pretty upset about the whole situation. He said, quote, She was busy working on stuff, trying to get police involved. She was really messed up about the whole thing. The man claiming to be an FBI agent had come to her door only a few days earlier. She just had no idea who would do that. But five days after the first strange visit, another strange man showed up at her door. On Wednesday, August 27th, someone else knocked on Kandika's door. She spoke to him through the door, and just like the first man, he asked for her by name. And when she said yes, he told her that he had a package for her, but he needed to go and get it. He never came back. This was now two strangers in one week, and Kanika was beginning to believe that she was being targeted. The first person could have just been a scammer, but what was the likelihood that on two occasions, five days apart, you would have strange men knocking on your door, asking for you by your full name? 
one with a fake badge and the other with a package they never delivered. Kanika was already pretty shaken up after the first incident, but after the second one, she was definitely scared. She was a woman who was living a quiet life with no known enemies. She really couldn't understand why someone would be targeting her of all people. Judy, her mom, told the Washington Post that Kanika asked her, quote, Why are these people bothering me, Ma? Judy said that Kanika wondered if she had unknowingly made someone mad. But 12 hours after the man with the undelivered package came, Kanika received a third visit from yet another strange man. It was August 28, 2008. Judy said that she got a call from her daughter that morning telling her about another man knocking on her door saying that he had a package for her. Judy said that it was around 7.30 in the morning when her daughter called, and she said Kanika asked her who delivers a package at 7.30 in the morning. It was all really confusing, and Judy said looking back, she could hear the fear in her daughter's voice, but she had no way of knowing whether or not Kanika was in real danger or if this was some weird joke. After that early morning knock, Kanika again contacted the police, who again came over but found nothing. She told her mom during their conversation that she was going to take the day off from work. She had plans to leave town the next day. Now, it's not clear whether the trip was for work or not, but she had some errands that she needed to run before she left. She told her mom that she wanted to go out early so that she wouldn't be running around in the dark especially with everything going on. She figured it would be safer to get everything done and be back home early. When Judy hung up the phone with Kanika that day, she had no idea that that would be their last conversation. Kanika left her complex that morning. She ran her errands, and then she returned to her apartment shortly before noon. As she made her way to her apartment, someone was waiting for Kanika. Was it one of the men who had come to her door over the past few days? Or was this someone else? Whoever it was had a different message for Kanika than others. And before she could make it back to her apartment, the person waiting pulled out a gun and began firing at Kanika. I always regret not taking Spanish seriously in high school. And if you're like me, then there's a foreign language that you regret not learning in school. It's never too late to start with Babbel. Babbel is the language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions. Thanks to Babbel's addictively fun and easy bite-sized language lessons, you can finally cross learning that new language off your list. With Babbel, you only need 10 minutes to complete a lesson, so you can start having a real-life conversation in a new language in as little as three weeks. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 150 language experts and voiced by real native speakers, not computers. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective. With Babbel, 
You can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. There are so many ways to learn with Babbel. In addition to lessons, you can access podcasts, games, videos, stories, and even live classes. Plus, it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. Right now, get up to 55% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash girlgone. That's babbel.com slash girlgone for up to 55% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. On August 28, 2008, 28-year-old Kanika Powell arrived home from running some errands. A few hours before she left, an unknown man knocked on her door saying he had a package for her, but no package was left. It had been the third time that week that a stranger knocked on her door. Kanika called the police who canvassed the area, but they found no one. But when she arrived back home, there was someone waiting for her in her hallway. And before she could make it back to her apartment, Kanika was shot. And the mystery of what happened to her and why began to form. When Kanika arrived home shortly before 12 p.m., she had no clue that a killer was waiting for her in the hallway. Investigators say that whoever it was waited for Kanika to come back home. At 11.50 a.m., the first calls came into 911 reporting gunshots at the complex. When police and EMS arrived, they found Kanika lying in the hallway with multiple gunshot wounds. She was alive but unconscious and barely clinging to life. She was rushed to a nearby hospital where doctors attempted to save her life. Judy said that she received a call from detectives that afternoon. She said that they told her that Kanika had been shot. It was devastating news. I mean, she had just spoken to her daughter, and now there was a detective on the phone telling her that Kanika had been shot. After Kanika was rushed to the hospital, investigators began to process the scene to see if they could piece together what happened and why. Robbery was the first theory that police came up with, especially since she was killed outside her apartment. But when her wallet and car keys were found next to her body, robbery was quickly ruled out. In the hours following Kanika's murder, Investigators were attempting to determine a motive, but they were struggling to find a why. All they knew was that Kanika was shot with a handgun, and 
that they believed that the gunman had been waiting in the doorway for her. At the hospital, Kanika, who was still alive when she arrived, never regained consciousness. And the day after she was shot, Kanika succumbed to her injuries and was pronounced dead on August 29th. It was a terrible end to a life with so much promise. No one could understand why someone would brutally murder someone like Kanika. But for her family, the events of the past week made them wonder, were the people that had been coming to Kanika's door the ones who murdered her? A look into Kanika's past and current life gave no impression that something like this would happen to her. She had a great career. She was a military veteran who was well-liked and well-respected by her family, friends, and colleagues. She had no criminal history or issues with substance abuse. She had never been in any real trouble. In cases like this, a spouse or an ex would be a suspect, but according to her family and friends, Kanika wasn't seeing anybody at the time, and there were just no angry ex in her life either. Early on in the investigation, the police were hitting a dead end. There was very little physical evidence at the scene, and a weapon was not recovered. For me, while researching this case, what I found weird was the lack of information that exists about this case. All of the information that I could find focused mainly on what happened to Kanika in the days before she went missing the mystery men showing up at her door. But after that, there was very little information about her case. You would think a case like this would have way more information, that there would be several articles asking what happened to Kanika. But aside from a few articles, it's mostly web sleuths and Reddit threads that have discussed this case. Even the local news didn't have any articles about Kanika's case, which is really weird because even in cases that don't get mainstream media coverage, there are at least a few local articles about the case, but not with Kanika. Even the TV news didn't seem to have any coverage of Kanika's murder or the aftermath that I could find. It's no wonder police did not receive many tips. There was almost no coverage of what happened to the vet with top security clearances. It's almost unbelievable, but with the lack of real information from the police, people who learned about Kanika's murder began to come up with their own theories, and many of them had to do with the mystery around what Kanika did for work. Now, as I said earlier, Kanika worked for John Hopkins Laboratories, but What she did for the labs was top secret. Even after her murder, the laboratory would only confirm that she worked for John Hopkins, but would not say which lab she worked for, nor would they say what her title was. Whatever she did was highly sensitive, and some people have concluded through their own research that she worked as someone who reviewed other people's clearances. And so... Because of the top-secret nature of her work and the fact that she dealt with matters of national security, it left people to wonder if her murder had something to do with any of that. Maybe she knew something that someone didn't want her to know or found out something that she shouldn't have. 
And since she never discussed her job with her family and friends, if something had happened at work, they probably wouldn't have known. The strange series of visitors also left open the possibility that this may have been a hit. The fact that Kanika did not recognize any of the men who came to her door confirmed that these were not people that she knew, and they didn't seem to know her either. They seemed like they were there to confirm that she lived there, but that still doesn't answer the question of who or why someone would want Kanika dead, or why they would go through all of this preparation to do so. But it's hard to imagine that these strangers were not somehow tied to her murder. In the beginning, police would only say that they were looking into multiple possibilities, but they would not elaborate further. No suspects were named, and they never released an official theory of what they thought had happened. A few months after Kanika's murder, a young man named Sean Green was murdered 30 minutes from where Kanika's apartment was. He worked for the National Counterterrorism Center in McLean, Virginia, a job like Kanika's that required him to have top security clearance, and he dealt with highly sensitive information. On November 12, 2008, Sean was ambushed by a masked gunman as he sat at a light. And although there were several differences in the murders, Internet detectives pointed to the fact that both Sean and Kanika worked in jobs that dealt with national security, and the fact that Sean was killed close to where Kanika lived. But there was never any official statements from police about whether or not they believed that there was a connection. However, there was another possibility. Maybe Kanika wasn't murdered because of her job or by a hitman. Maybe she was the victim of a random, senseless act of violence, and that's why investigators couldn't find a solid lead. There are some that believe that Kanika may have been the victim of a serial killer named Jason Scott, who was convicted of five murders that occurred between 2008 and 2009 in Prince George's County. Jason Scott was from the area and had numerous run-ins with the law and had been arrested several times for burglary and other offenses. He was a highly intelligent person, but he used that intelligence to commit crimes. He had begun working at UPS, and that's when police say that he used his degree in computer science to access the information of people he planned to rob and then eventually kill. In July 2009, he was arrested after police received a tip that he was selling illegal guns out of his UPS truck. After his arrest, police raided a stash house Jason Scott had been keeping, and inside, they found evidence that linked him to five murders in the past year. Four of the murders he committed were of mothers and their daughters, and three of the victims were shot. All of the murders were random, and none of the victims knew Scott. He was dubbed the mother-daughter killer by the media, and after his arrest, police said that they believed he could be tied to other homicides in the D.C. Maryland area. 
Now, even though all of the murders were different, there were things that connected the cases, including the makeup of the victims. And they all occurred within a nine-month period in which Kanika was also shot. Now, Kanika had not been robbed, and there was no sign of forced entry to her apartment, but maybe he was planning to rob her, but couldn't for some reason. Maybe the fact that she lived in an apartment building hindered his ultimate plans. But that theory, along with others, is just that. A theory. And police have never said whether they believe Jason Scott is involved in Kanika's murder. Fourteen years have now passed since Kanika was murdered outside of her apartment. And there's no new information about where her case stands today. It's not clear whether the case is still open or whether or not anyone is even still trying to find out what happened. And so the mystery of her murder remains, and no one has been held responsible for what happened. At just 28, Kanika had done everything right in life. She joined the military, she served our country, and when she came home, she got a job that dealt with the security of this country. But she never got the chance to live out her full life because someone decided to steal it from her. We don't know who, and we don't know why, but I think we can pretty much conclude that whoever did this targeted her. They waited for her. They knew where she would be and when, and they wanted her dead. It's terrifying to know that people like this exist in the world, and it's even more terrifying to know that they're living free among us. Maybe it was the men who came knocking at her door. Maybe it was a random act of violence. But either way, Kanika's family has had to live the past 14 years with no answers. And even though it's been a while, I hope that new interest will be sparked in this case and perhaps someone out there can help bring this family some answers. There has to be someone out there that knows something. Kanika Powell was murdered on August 28, 2008 in Prince George's County, Maryland. She was shot in the hallway of her apartment building. She was 28 years old. If you have any information about her murder, please contact the Prince George's County, Maryland, police. May Kanika Powell rest in peace. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. It also helps our show grow. As always, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability 
worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.